one of the major farming conferences of the year is making a welcome return to the Lincolnshire showground after three years. What can we expect? So the theme this year is healthy soils, healthy minds. Both of those we do really feel are the most important assets that we have in our businesses and on our farms. We'll talk to conference chair Kelly Hewson Fisher and we'll look at an alternative source of fertiliser, fish. So we produce this in our factory up in the Shetland Islands where we've got a dedicated factory to producing the seed to soil product. But then we ship it down to our Grimsby site for storage and distribution. Plus, we hear about a new farming advice service with timely and important agronomy advice, crop and market reports and prices, and, of course, the weather for the week to come. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, I'm Steve Orchard. Hope you've had a good week. The frost seems to have given way to stickier conditions over the last few days. What will that do to the early crops? We'll hear from independent agronomist Sean Sparling shortly. But first, with all the difficulties over fertiliser supply and huge hikes in cost of late, let's consider an alternative source, fish. Good morning to Liz Brown, technical sales manager at Sea to Soil. Good morning, Liz. Good morning. Let's talk about soil health and fertiliser. They're two topics that have been in the news and on everybody's tongue quite recently. Soil health is one of the main themes of the Lincolnshire Farming Conference coming up in a couple of weeks' time. And fertiliser prices, we know, have been in the news an awful lot just lately. You produce fertiliser in a rather different way. Tell me more. So the product we produce is a fish hydrocyte which is approved by Animal Plant Health Agency. And so it's the UK's first fish hydrocyte. And it's approved as an organic soil improver. So it's organic in its nature, so we're not using any synthetic chemicals in it. Okay, and this is fish what? Fish waste or what? So it could be fish that just hasn't made the grades for whatever reason. So that would come to us, so it, it hasn't got the grade to go into the food production. It could be byproducts from the processors, so the heads, the tails, bits like that, or it could be mortalities from the, the sea farms themselves. So, Liz, where is this produced and where is it distributed? So we produce this in our factory up in the Shetland Islands where we've got a dedicated factory to producing the sea-to-soil product. But then we ship it down to our Grimsby site for storage and distribution. Okay, so this is going to be full of nutrients and active ingredients. How does it actually help the soil? So it helps the soil by feeding the soil bacteria and the soil protozoa. Um, it can feed the plant directly as well. But the main main part of this is it is actually the nutrients is in a form that's readily available for all the soil bacteria to digest. And then their excretions are in a form that's significantly more available to the plant than any sort of synthetic forms are so by increasing that soil biology you increase all of the bacteria you're increasing the protozoa and therefore the worms and things so you're getting a better soil structure as well so the soil can cope with any sort of adverse weather conditions whether that's drought or you know excess water depending on you know what season we're in how is this applied to the ground so it's a liquid so it can go with any of your liquid fertilizer or any of your liquid applications okay and what kind of crops or soil types is it good for it can go on any type of soil and crop types at the moment we've just been on sort of combinable crops but it can actually go on to any any crop are there any restrictions on use licenses required etc 
there's two restrictions on it. As the farmer doesn't need a, a license to use it. So the first one is it can't be applied to any edible parts of the plant. So we recommend that the farmers stop using it when they see the flag leaf on their combinable crops. And if they're putting it onto grass, then there's a 21-day withdrawal period from applying it onto pasture and turning any grazing animals out on that pasture. And <laughs> cost of fertiliser has been in the news an awful lot. How does yours compare? So it would work out at £800 per tonne delivered on farm. Okay. And where can we go, Liz, for more information on the product? Ctosoil.co.uk. And that's a number two, isn't it? On C to that's the number two, <laughs> the word C and the number two. Liz, that's great. Thank you very much indeed for the information and thanks for joining us on the farming programme this morning. OK, thank you very much. Sean Sparling, our crop doctor, brings agronomy and crop advice every Sunday and he'll be here in a couple of minutes. But what about commercial advice? Marketing and selling what you produce. Long-established Lincolnshire farmers Jepco have created an offshoot offering just such advice. One of the founders, Anton Vickers, is here to tell us more this morning. Anton, before we start, a little bit of background to Jepco, please. Jepco, as a farming business, has been in operation for around about 100 years. We're sixth-generation farmers. We farm around about 2,500 acres on an 11,000-acre land bank. And we farm a wide range of leafy salads over a 52-week period. And we um, supply into manufacturing, retail, food service and wholesale. Jepco Solutions is going to do what? What services will you be offering? We work with businesses and we partner with them and help them with identifying areas for growth. Because many farmers have got huge experience in actually growing the stuff, but sometimes the hard bit is getting it sold and getting it to market, isn't it? Yeah, Absolutely. And if you think about some of the products that we're working with, there's a growth in pulses there. Soy is one of the main proteins that's used with plant-based. There's other broad beans and pulses that are coming to, to the fore now. So there's lots of different types of products that we can work with just to help that overall circular economy. And how do you work on a practical basis? Do you go along to a farm and have a look at what they're doing and sit and go through the books and this kind of thing? It's understanding what some of the food entrepreneurs that we're working with, what idea they've got, what products products they've got will then sit, sit down with them and, and understand their vision for the business as well because that's really important to know where some of these people want, want to take their products and then we'll work with them over a period of time we'll create a plan and then um, help them and uh, guide them to deliver that plan in the best way we can. Okay and do you work with just local farmers are you all over the country where are you focusing on? No, we are very much national and even internationally. In fact, one of our plant-based clients is an Israeli company. So that just gives you a good example of the reach that we've got. So yeah, I have to have conversations with people who've got really good ideas and some innovation in products. And then that's where we can really leverage our skills to help them take you to the next step. Anton Vickers, founding partner at Jepco Solutions. Many thanks for joining us on the farming programme this morning. Thanks very much. Take care. We seem to have moved from hard, frosty fields to damp and sticky conditions out there this week. Good morning, Sean. Yes, good morning to you, Steve. I know, blooming weather, isn't it? Hard, frosty start, wet, sticky finish. But then I suppose we get a lot of weather in January. But then when there's always biscuits in the tin, where's the fun in biscuits, eh? So as you can tell, not an awful lot to talk about agronomically. Very little spring barley in the ground for me. Unusually so, actually. I usually have plenty in on the heath by now. I look after a little bit over 5,500 acres of spring barley. And quite often we'll start drilling that well before Christmas last year. For example, drilling was going so well 
beautiful seedbeds by the middle of January, but then we'd only had 16 millimetres of rain so far by this time in January 2022, as opposed to the 36 millimetres that I've taken to date in 2023. And if you couple that into the fact that it's been much, much harder in terms of frost this year too, out of the last 11 nights, we've had eight which have been colder than minus four. And most of those eight have been minus fives and minus sixes. And that means that once it starts to thaw out, comes a little bit milder, you really don't need any rain to really wet these profiles down. So drilling into sticky, sloppy seed beds proves absolutely impossible. Plenty cold enough too, in that top two to three inches to be putting seed in there anyway. Plenty of time just to wait for a bit. The rain in the last few days has made it all even stickier too, so just bide your time. Staying a little bit unsettled too by the looks of it. No real trees likely to be torn up drilling spring barley-wise then for a day or two yet. Spring barley, as we all know, does not like being mauled in, so keep your powder dry and hold your nerve. There's not much difference in terms of yield between spring barley crops drilled in January and spring barley, which are drilled in early March anyway. And staying with these frosts, as we said last week, the frost insurance was triggered on sugar beet. Very noticeable as well just how much frost damage there is out there in both beet which is still in the fields absolutely black to the floor in places and some of the heaps as well when I was a young lad just starting out on the farm we used to straw down with bats which are like flat square bales for those who've never heard of bats we'd straw down the beet heap every night if there was a frost forecast and then take those bats take that straw off again the next morning or at least we'd go out and sheet the heap of beet down to protect them from the frost and it's not often I see heaps of sugar beet sheeted down anywhere these days certainly not strawed down the damage that frost can do to a heap of sugar beet hasn't changed in the last 40 years but it seems that the willingness to protect the heap has in some cases yields will obviously be affected by all of this where it's frosted in the field and particularly not least because more of the crown has to be cut off to minimise the amount of frosted beet that goes into the factory. So not only is weight of sugar beet yield reduced, because that's where the sugar is, the sugars fall too. Not everybody's affected, but far too many are. And as a result of the weather conditions, we hear that the application for the use of neonicotinoid seed treatment, thymothoxam, for the 2023 crop of sugar beet has now been granted. As we outlined, we suspected it maybe would be last week. So once the practicalities and the conditions for the stewardship are understood further and once any decision has been taken we'll come back to that as i said last week it's only been cold enough not to trigger concern five times since 1965 so the chances are it will happen but also as i said last week if they don't grant that derogation for the use of thymothoxin we must trust that process and trust that we will be okay without it winter beans they're looking a little bit weary too after these frosts especially where they were drilled in a little bit too shallow winter beans need to be in at least three inches to help protect the bean itself from frosts like this so where the decision was taken to just tickle them in an inch and a half or so deep, they've really been hit hard. Nothing you can do about it. You just need to pray for a bit of warm, sunny, growy weather to pull them out of it. 
winter wheat, winter barley crops, they've improved a little bit. Plenty of septoria out there in the wheat. Not much rust to find yet, although there is some rust out there. And those frosts really dried out that little bit of mildew in the forward, more frothy bits of wheat and the more frothy winter barleys. Always good for controlling mildew, a few good frosts. It won't kill any yellow rust in the winter wheat, though of course it needs to be about minus 18 or lower to kill yellow rust, because unless it's cold enough to kill the leaf that the rust sits on, it won't. Just get out and walk these fields. That's the best thing you can do. Get a feel for what's out there in the field, what's what and what's where. And then it's easier to plan for your T0. It's easier to plan for patching up blackgrass, wild oats, brome on headlands, etc. Seems to me, actually, that the rain which fell throughout October and November in particular, and which washed these residuals down the profile, causing so much crop damage uptake across the county. I took over 150 millimetres of rain from about the 20th of October up to the end of November. And that's not only caused these crops uh, through the wash through to suck it up and go a bit yellow, but it's also compromised the efficacy of those herbicides. Plenty of triolate, for example. I treated headlands of some of my fields specifically for brome. And those headlands are nicely full of brome because it dropped 50 mil of rain within about five days of putting the Abidex granules on, the triolate granules on. So don't just assume that because you've put something on, you can forget about the weed you were after. Get out there and have a good look and make sure your plans are in place because assumption is the mother of all cock-ups after all and um, starting to think then about fertilizer which you know we'll talk more about over the coming weeks but do make sure that there's enough food in the soil for the crop potash phosphate going on now of course but it's not cheap so know your fields know your indices and tailor your applications by field and by patches within field i think the days of a blanket application of three bags of nut 24 24 per acre are long gone put the fertilizer where it's needed and if that means you're fiddling about with little areas of fields then do that we can't afford to go out there and waste money so a little bit milder than it was this time last week then very sticky underfoot and with a dryish forecast and perhaps slightly milder conditions hopefully it'll soon look a little bit more like spring mind you I think there is some forecast of snow at some point we're bound to get what they had in America over the course of the next 10 days and there is still plenty of time for us to get an awful lot of winter yet so let's see what the next seven days bring thanks as ever sean sean sparling our resident agronomist returns next week the farming program with our equipped steel stockholders with umbrook industrial estate grantham supplying the region for over 40 years it's been much missed since 2021. Indeed, it was the first farming event I attended when I took over editing and presenting the programme. But it's back. The Lincolnshire Farming Conference returns to the Epic Centre at the Lincolnshire Showground in a few days' time. Many of you will know this year's chair, formerly with Anglian Water, it's NFU Water Specialist Kelly Hewson-Fisher. Kelly, good morning. Morning, how are you? I'm very well, and you? Yes, very well, thank you. Good, good, good. Isn't it good to have the Lincolnshire Farming Conference back? I can't wait. I am so excited and we hope to see so many people there this year. I mean, it's a social thing as much as the the actual conference itself, isn't it? What have we got as a theme this time? So the theme this year is healthy soils, healthy minds. Both of those we do really feel are the most important assets that we have in our businesses and on our farms. You know, the soils that build the foundations, but also ourselves as people. 
Absolutely. So you're talking in, in terms of healthy minds of mental health and looking after yourself. Yeah, mental health, looking after yourself. Um, as we know, farming and rural work is often isolated and lonely. So how can we support ourselves and then support each other? We've got amazing speakers, um, Heather Wildman, who I believe is just genuinely passionate. And we've got Will Evans, who's inspiringly honest. Um, and, and they will be absolutely superb. Excellent. And we've got exhibitors there too. So having been before, you'll be um, very much aware that we have many exhibitors there. And you mentioned about the social aspect of coming to the conference. So being able to see people across the industry. So you'll be able to come and speak to people on the exhibiting stands, maybe meet some neighbours as well in the conference itself. And possibly learn something at the same time. Absolutely. So we mentioned about the soils element, so healthy soils. Um, so we've got a number of um, speakers there and I think it's you know really interesting we've got so many buzzwords haven't we in our industry you know soil health regenerative farming organic matter just to name uh, you know a couple Um, and what do they actually mean And, and they can often mean different things to different people so I'm hoping our speakers will explore some of these so we've got George Sly who I think is you know practically entrepreneurial we've got Paul Davey a Lincolnshire farmer and Rob Shepherd who's involved in a farmer cluster group so I'm, I'm sure they're going to bring so much knowledge and enthusiasm to our conference. Really really looking forward to it. it's going to be another fascinating interesting and enlightening day by the looks of it can you give us a quick rundown of where when and where can we go for information and tickets Kelly? You can get information online. Um, It's Thursday, the 9th of February at the showground. It's free to uh, Lincolnshire Agricultural Society members um, and it's really affordable to adults and students. We have the NFU Vice President, David Exward, who will be our keynote speaker. And David's doing some great work on his farm promoting soil health. And and I'm extremely honoured to have the privilege of being the chair. And I really look forward to seeing so many of you there. Excellent. I shall see you there. Looking forward to it. Kelly, thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you so much. To the markets now, starting with livestock from Louth Livestock Market auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Good morning, Oliver. Morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Louth uh, for Monday, the 23rd of January's market. Starting with the prime cattle, which see heifers sell away to a record breaking price on a non fat stock wheat for F. Wallace and Sons at 289 pence per kilo or £1,644 per head, while a steer's top at 270 pence per kilo or £1,617 for J.C. Scolia Bormba. That wraps the cattle up. Moving on to the sheep, starting with the prime hogs, slightly smaller number forward, however, a lifting trade sees an SQQ of 230.38 pence per kilo, with an all in average of 230.93 pence per kilo, just showing how dear those heavyweight hogs are. Top goes to PS Marsdenson of Cold Hanworth at £128 per head, while a pence per kilo is topped by Richard Colson of Osgoby at 269 pence per kilo. Finally, Cool News, that slightly smaller show compared with the previous weeks, uh, was 64 on offer to all in average £113.36 to top for Danny Scaman of England at £152 per head twice. A huge thank you to everyone that's been in support this week, both buyers and vendors. Tomorrow, Monday the 30th of January, we've got an additional store cattle sale with 30 plus cattle. Uh, store cattle, sorry, already entered. Entry still being accepted and are required for both the prime and store rings in the in the cattle, and the prime and call and store sheep section. So for all entries or to discuss the marketing of livestock, please do not hesitate to contact me. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Market, and thank you. 
Thanks, Oliver. And with the week's grey market review and prices, Openfield's Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. The UK wheat futures price fell another £10 over the past week with every day like Groundhog Day. Negative news-wise, technical selling and fund specs selling derivative markets ably assisted by algorithms, which is creating some major disconnects between the physical and futures markets. It is reported that funds are now short on every major international wheat futures exchange, increasing their short on CBOT by 11 million tonnes. Funds are long on maize and soybeans, which have remained well supported despite the reports of a monster Brazilian soybean crop, disappointing US maize sales and some much-needed rains in Argentina. Ongoing shipping delays via the export corridor blamed on Russian inspectors' tardiness in improving vessel releases has resulted in an increase in demand for UK feed wheat, and several transactions via deepwater facilities have now been concluded. This is a welcome development for UK exports, which has been disappointing to date, particularly with reports of reduced domestic demand due to artificial intelligence that one ethanol plant has now ceased production. The success of the corridor overland exports from the Ukraine is being met with disquiet by a growing number of EU countries who see it as a major reason for collapse in their domestic prices. So moving forward to barley, there is no fresh buying interest from on the malting barley domestically or indeed on the continent, apart from the odd load purchase to replace rejection. There is still malting barley unsold on farms and where it trades, it is about £25 to a £30 premium over feed. This is very good when you consider the surplus that we have, which may yet have to go as feed. Openfield continues to execute pre-sold cargoes of malting barley from the south and west of England to all parts of the world. At domestic maltings, there is a huge problem with ergot contamination, with scores of projections every day. The colour sorting plants are working overtime, with a large waiting time for affected farm lots to be processed. Oilseed rape, rapeseed values have continued to drift. The market is spooked by the talk of stopping plant-based biofuels, along with rains in Argentina and a record Brazilian soybean crop continuing to be a focus. Chicago soybean futures have been pressured by recent rainfall in Argentina. More rain is expected in the coming week, which will hopefully prevent further damage to the soybean crop. A Reuters report explained how recent range in Argentina surpassed even the most optimistic forecasts, but the spread is very uneven. Argentina has seen the most significant drought in 60 years. The extreme five-year drought period has slashed the soybean production by 8%, according to that report. So looking at prices this week, feed wheat for March 215 to 222, May 218 to 226 and November new crop 210 to 220. Milling wheat premiums for the very best group one spec are currently £60. Barley, March 195 to 203, May 197 to 205 and November 180 to 185. Malting barley premiums are currently £25 to £30. And finally, oilseed rape for February, March 420 to 430, May 427 to 437, and November 435 to 445. Thank you very much. Thanks as ever, Kit. Last week, we previewed the Farmhouse Breakfast Week for children at the Lincolnshire Showground. It took place this week and was another hugely successful event, helping kids understand where their food comes from the journey from farm to fork and what we do agricultural-wise here in Lincolnshire. Here's organiser Susie Stone. 
Yeah, it's fabulous. So uh, we, we see over 150 uh, students this week, which is great to have that turnout and really impart some expert knowledge. So we've got some great helpers and supporters that are sharing their skills and expertise, their farming knowledge, because Lincolnshire is so rich in agriculture. Um, so to impart some of those knowledge that's all around them is wonderful. And we do this every year, um, supporting schools. And one of the teachers. I think, yeah, they, that them realising that so many of the crops and the breakfast that they have are come from so locally sourced, I don't think they realise that. And because we are a school in the city, they sometimes don't get to experience those things. So I think just being able to come out only 10 minutes down the road, but to see that this is going on is vital for them. So what were the kids actually doing? So we've been like making porridge and like learning about the importance of breakfast. And then we've been looking of um, how bread was made and how it all um, first started and how we made it, make it from scrap. We made some omelettes. We, and we've learned how eggs are produced. Wonderful. And do you know what activity you're doing next? Uh, we are learning about wheat. Yeah. Fantastic. Farmhouse Breakfast Week will be back next January at the Lincolnshire Showground. Brilliant. Well done to all involved. Next up for the education team is Tractors Into Schools at the end of February. Details on the Lincolnshire Agricultural Society website. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Plenty of high pressure around this week, so more settled and mostly dry. Just light rain from time to time. A light westerly wind for Sunday, mostly dry with a high of 7 degrees. Much the same, but the wind a bit brisker for Monday. The middle of the week brings some light rain, slightly stronger and gusty westerly winds and highs of 9 Celsius. And things start to calm towards the end of the week. Still light rain and highs of 8 or 9. Well, that's it for Lynx FM Farming this week. Next week, we'll hear about a new social group created for and by women in agriculture, an upcoming seminar on the future of farming, and how do the latest fly-tipping statistics look? That's next Sunday from 7 or whenever you like on the free Lynx FM app or ask your smart speaker to play the latest farming programme. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a great week. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.